Welcome to Movie Maniacs. Mike Rags and Chuck Curry discussing the greatest movies of all time and all the new films in theaters and streaming that you need to know about. Like us, rate us, share us. Now, here are your hosts, Mike Rags and Chuck Curry. It is time for another edition of Movie Maniacs. Mike Rags and Chuck Curry talking about the world of movies at the last weekend of February. This is the calendar gets ready to turn over and we get ready for the latest installment of a Batman film. We'll talk about that. We've got some movie news and more. And this weekend, not many major releases uh, coming out in theaters, but one of note, it's the re-release, 50th anniversary of The Godfather. So Chuck and I are going to go back 50 years and take a look at the year 1972, which was quite a year of movie making. If you Once we go through the list of films here, Chuck, um, I was very young and so were you. A lot of these movies we didn't see in theaters, but boy, oh boy, I have a feeling sometime during the show, you're going to say they don't make movies like this anymore. And Can I say it now? Yeah, you might as well, because 1972 is quite a year. Well, we know they don't make movies like that anymore. Uh, no doubt about it. Uh, Chuck, let's get things started uh, If to, to, to check in with you to see if you've seen anything new. I watched a new movie on Peacock, which was an interesting movie called The 355, which starred uh, Jessica Chastain and Sebastian Stan and a bunch of other female actresses. In an action movie, a spy movie. It's actually pretty darn good. It came out at the beginning of the year. Um, I watched it at the comfort of my own home in Peacock. I would highly recommend it. That two hours of Jessica Chastain for me is always going to work. Do you remember when this film came out? It came out early, and I think it was in January. Um, not too much fanfare because movies in January usually don't. But Selma Hayek's in it. No, uh, Penelope Cruz. Penelope Cruz, right? Okay. Uh, Diana Kruger uh, and Jessica Chastain. Uh, it's pretty yeah, good. I mean, it uh, pretty not too bad. It, it, it uh, box office wise, it pretty much crashed and uh, and burned. Reviews were not that kind. No, it, I mean, it got out of the gate. But if you think about it, it's February 26th and I'm watching it on the Peacock stream already. So that goes towards, you know, what you were talking about. What is it? The 45 day rule now? Is that what they're talking about? Uh, that's, the ma- that's the max. That's I think the max. It, there's there's certain ones that'll do it quicker. Well, this one did it. And I believe I mean, if by my count, it's about 45 days. I, I find the one that's most disturbing is the reality of the Batman opening this Thursday night, which really I mean, they say Friday, March 4th, but it's really Thursday, March 3rd, Thursday night. Right. It's having it's track. It is very strong anticipation. You know, it's going to have a big opening weekend. It could open blow past 150 opening weekend. And but yet it has a set. HBO Max release, which is 45 days after March 4th, set in stone. Yeah, yeah. That's disturbing to me. Like, I, I, like if this movie's doing well at the box office, why would you do that? I Universal's you, you leaving all with open the option. They can do a 45 day window, but they're not setting it in stone. If the movie's playing in theaters well, there's no reason to do that because the theatrical dollar is more potent than the streaming dollar still. Yes. So, the, the, you know, you can't is a saying you can't eat your cake. You can't have your cake and eat it, too. And they're trying to have two pieces of cake and eat it at the same time. Well, I thought I saw, too, that it's actually coming out in some IMAX theaters on Tuesday as well. I heard that, uh, too. Um, you're this right. Was interesting. There's an embargo on the reviews, right? If you go online, Batman, the Batman review, you can't see any. But, you know, all the social media uh, movie sites, because what Warner Brothers did is they have access, they know their reaction already. So in their in their print ads, they have like uh, sensational. You you'll find patents in the best Batman yet. You know they did the, yeah, the, the blips, the blip. So they're re- they're releasing that, and all the all the all the geeks are like, oh my god, like we've been through this so many times, right? <laughs> 
you know, the, the initial really good. But I'm, I hope this movie is terrific. I'm looking forward to it. I don't buy the way social media has been manufactured, the way pre-advanced buzz has been altered. I don't I don't buy into this until I see one for myself, but two when I see the embargo lifted. And I, I need to see dozens and dozens of reviews, not stuff that Warner Brothers is releasing because it benefits them. Well, what's interesting, too, is does that marketing actually work? Is there somebody at home that sees that and says, oh, my God, the reviews are great. Now I have to see it. Yes, I don't I think do. it. I, no, mean, I don't I do. think it does. OK, let's debate this. There's a thing in marketing called maximum effect, right? Right. No, I get why the, the embargo for the Batman is going to be lifted February 28th. Right. So the movie comes out, like I said, really the third. But you said some IMAX screens on the second. I think what they'll do is if it's if it's as positive as they want it to be, and I hope it to be, and I think it will be, people see all these reviews a few days before, and it does juice them up, especially knowing that it's a little bit harder to get people into theaters post-COVID. Yeah, I but think I already know what these, these reviews are already going to say. You have to see it on the big screen. Oh, yeah. my gosh. You know, it, I don't know, maybe because we're savvier than the average viewer. But to me, I, I think the people that want to see the Batman in theaters are already ready to go. There's the there's no commercial that will make them go see it or not. I don't think so. But maybe I'm wrong. I, I don't know. But if you start hearing stuff like if let's just say hypothetically epic, amazing, tremendously acted, what a villain. It, it does help. I think. It yeah, does but help. I don't want to hear that now. If I hear that next Friday. Maybe yeah. I'd put a little more stock into it right now. Uh, I know it's just hype. Well, I, I hope it's good. We both hope as movie fans. We hope it's good. Yeah, absolutely. We don't want it to. You know, we don't want it to be uh, the second coming of Batman and Robin. Right. We don't no, want that. I don't think it'll be that. What I don't want it to be is I don't want it to be too much like the, the Zack Snyder films either. I mean, I I want something a little uh a little more. I don't know. I'm not. I don't I think I'm no, going to do a Nolan had the perfect chemistry. He did. No. He did. He had the first he had it really. He did. It was dark and light at the same time. And I don't know if we're going to get that again. I'm more interested to see it as how this kid does in the role more than anything else, because I don't really think they're really going to introduce too many new things that we haven't seen in a Batman movie before. Um, the feel of it feels different, though. It has a like it just feels like a really film nourish doc. Who knows how that's going to wash among the general public, though? We yeah, don't know. I, it's going to I be don't know. I don't know. Okay, um, if you had to predict Rotten Tomato scores percentage-wise, what do you think this is going to do? I mean, I think I, I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to say 80s. Yeah, I would think in the 80 to 85. A, I think there's going to be a, some naysayers. They're going to say, "Oh, it's too dark. Oh, it's too gritty." You get that? Yeah, and you'll get people complaining about, "Well." the villain wasn't good or he's not a good Batman. You're going to get that. I'd say 80, yeah. 85, but I think they take that in a second. Of course they would. Either way, it'll help the business. It's March. But after this movie comes out, it'll take some time for anything else to get us juiced up to go to the theaters. And if this thing's going to be back on the small on the small screen in 45 days, you're right. They're not really not doing movie theaters any favors. No, I guess not. there's, here's, here's, there's here's no way the to wait and see, though, right? They can't. There's no, no way they could say, well, we'll see how it does. And then maybe we'll decide No, because they set it in stone already. So, no. So the the people who sit at home with HBO Max going, give me my the Batman. They expect it that day. So they're going to get it that day in April. Right. Here's right. the thing. There was a, a, a pot. I think this is a positive cinema gave their quarterly report and had their first quarterly profit since COVID. That's awesome. And that obviously was helped by the massive surprise success. I, I still say surprise. I didn't expect Spider-Man No Way Home to do almost $800 million already. It's still going pretty strong. 
I mean, last weekend it did 7.7 million in four days of President's Day. I mean, that is that's really good. Well, and yeah, even I mean, weekdays, it's doing like 700,000 a day. It's I wonder doing yeah. really gangbuster business. I think uh, some studios. I got to tell you, Mike, it's doing better than Moonfall. Yeah, I, I, I'm a little surprised, but I'm, I'm a little surprised that <laughs> some studios aren't taking advantage of this and saying, you know what? There's nothing out. We probably should have released something a little bit bigger here. But here, we- here's the thing. Sony Pictures, who released Spider-Man No Way Home, right? They are the and, and also uh, Uncharted. They released that also, which they did the, very well. They're they are the only major studio without their own streaming service. They are fully committed to the theatrical brand, which is good for theaters. And it, and it's and actually, if you look at their numbers, Sony, it is paid off for them handsomely. You know, Not, no, ex- no doubt about ex- it. Yeah. The experiment. And I still think that it is still in the experimental stage. I think I think the bean counters have more of a handle on the profitability and is, and is this the best long-term strategy to try to drive as many people as possible to, to streaming services over theatrical. But um, I still think, well, plus you two, know, Chuck, you can't, you can't equate a billion or billion and a half, $2 billion worldwide. If you hit that streaming's not going to, is not going to make up for that. Well, I think we both say we're a little bit surprised not only that Uncharted open at 44 million, but it's going to be number one again, only dropping 45%. So that's that's pretty good. I mean, 60, 70 million in two weeks for a movie we thought might have had some negative buzz and nobody really cares much about it. That's got to say a lot towards Tom Holland and towards the fact that you are getting original content that has some action in it and yeah. some money behind it. Here's the thing. It almost is playing out the way the original, well, the original Venom did because right. the original Venom, was sort of critic proof, right? It didn't get great reviews, but I went to see it and I was in a theater. I was like, you know what? I was entertained. It's not, it's not the dog night, but I thought he was really good. I thought it was character driven enough where it held my interest and uh, made a lot of money and the sequel made a lot of money. And, uh, in uncharted feels like the same sort of, um, model, you know, sort of critic proof, you know, some critics like it, but it's, it's not, it's entertaining enough that the public is embracing it. And there's, a an, good yeah, and there's enough familiar star power to get people to want to go out and see it. This mm-hmm. is good news for Tom Holland, though. Um, it is very, you know, good. very good news. I'm for sure him. his agent's very happy. I'm sure as, as well. Um, Chuck, let's let's dive into some movie news here. Steven Spielberg, pretty big news. Um, looks like he's going to do a bullet movie, um, a, the original Frank Bullet movie. Uh, of course, the great classic 1968 Steve McQueen movie uh, with one of the great chase scenes of all times. God only knows if Spielberg's going to try to attempt something like that in his new version of it. But he's going back to the original source material of Frank Bullitt about a San Francisco cop. I don't remember Steven Spielberg doing too many cop movies. This actually no, excites I'm me a little. He's, I'm glad he's doing he's delving into different uh, things. And why not? He's done it. He's done it all. Who, who would you who would you uh, who would you That's consider? Great. I'm sure they'll look at Chris Pine, right? If they want to do a Stephen Steve McQueen high, I think they, they'd look at Chris. They look at Chris Pine first, maybe. I right? would see Chris Pine. Adam I could t- also Adam Tanning, maybe, maybe, maybe. maybe. Yeah, Chris it, Pine probably. I could see them maybe going a little Ryan Angel Reynolds. Hall. Ryan Reynolds, maybe seriously, if they wanted yeah. to do something like that. I could also, you know, I could also see him say, "Hey, how about Tom Holland?" You know, let's or some. It depends on how young he wants to take the character. But if he's going to go to an origin story, you yeah. think the cop's going to have to be pretty young in his 30s. Yeah. So uh-huh. uh, I don't 
the, the star is the director, as far as I'm concerned, at that point in time, just don't mess you know, up. It's sort casting. of weird when you hear that Robert Pattinson's 35 already. Like, it's yeah. like like you say, because you think of him much younger. You really but, do. Yeah. And the other guy, Taylor, he's probably the same age, too. And Kristen Stewart, they're all in their 30s, right? Yeah. So time, time, time flies when you're having fun, Mike. But, you know, what's interesting is like give Pattinson another five years. I'll be 40. People say, oh, who's the next Batman? Right. right? No, right. Right. I'm sure he's going to do two more because they're talking sequels already. When, when the rock when the rocks 50, you know, yeah. it's just that the lifespan of a action star isn't as long as it used to be. Um, how about the uh, you know, we, we lost a, you know, pretty substantial actress over the past year. She was nominated for Hot Lip Sulahan and MASH. Uh, Sally Kellerman died at yeah. the age of 84. You and I, you know, obviously harken back to back to school right away. I love that movie. And you know, she, I, I told you in a text how much I love that movie. And I thought her chemistry, Rodney Dangerfield, was awesome. And uh, it's a perfect movie. It's a, that is a perfect vehicle for a comic actor. Dangerfield. That was Dangerfield's classic movie. Back yeah. to School 86. And she held her own in it. She has a really couple of good, Very funny good. exchanges with him. Why don't you call me sometime when you have no class? And it's it. just it's just great. And, you know, obviously, Loretta Swit made Hot Lips Hulahan yeah. very popular on TV, but the original Hot Lips Hulahan uh, with Robert Altman's MASH. Uh, we lost a great, a great character actress. Um, I did see Haunted Mansion got a March 2023 release date from Disney Chuck, which will have Tiffany Haddish starring on it, um, starring in it along with Danny DeVito and Owen Wilson. Um, you know, the last Haunted Mansion didn't do anything with Eddie Murphy back in the day. Um, this is another one of Disney trying to dip into it. What's surprising to me is I don't see the plus attached to it at all yet. Right now, I, I guess they're hoping for a Disney release in theaters. We'll see. You know, it's interesting. It's it, you, you have to wonder who sits in the in the uh, in the offices at Disney saying, OK, let's take every single property that we've <laughs> ever done and do it. I'm sure they're going to revive Freaky Friday again. Also, no. Guarantee they will. You would think so, but kind of oh, risky, yeah. kind of risky casting with Tiffany Haddish. I mean, mm-hmm. she a few months ago. She that's she, why it leads me to believe this is a Disney Plus project. You would you would think so. It's not like she's that bankable up on the big screen. One of the big uh, stories that I saw this week, I thought you'd have a big uh, interest in. Tom Brady announces his first movie, and it's a buddy older lady movie with <laughs> Sally Field, Rita Moreno, Jane Fonda, and Lily Tomlin all going to see his Super Bowl. In Atlanta, the Atlanta Super Bowl, Chuck. What do you think of this storyline? 80 for Brady. Yeah. Um, It's a little weird, but uh, I wonder how much screen time he's actually going to have. Now, he's producing the film as well. Yeah, well, that's cool. He's got he's got mucho money. And And, and he's been doing he's been he's he's had he's run a production company. Do documentaries, you know, that he produced his own document, which is really good, by the way. My daughter watched that. I was watching some of that. It's really good. Very gr- completely honest, too. Right. And he, he popped up in Ted, right? He was in, was it yeah, Ted 2? Yeah, funny he in Ted. Fun in that. Well, you know what they did with him in Ted 2 is fun. Yeah. yeah. I, I just, Sally Field, Jane Fonda, uh, Rita Marino, and Lila, Lily Tomlin. Yeah. Lily Tomlin. And the, you know, cast. it's a good cast. Uh, they've got tremendous. Yeah, it should be fun. Um, I'm not sure how much acting chops he's got, but I mean, I think Peyton Manning's probably a better actor. Probably, probably yeah. um, the Meg Two, the trench. You interested in it? No, uh, no, Jason Statham, um, but they're going to no, make another Jason Meg. Stra- it is Jason Statham. Oh, I'm sorry. Jason Statham and uh, Sienna Gilroy Gillery is in it. Um, nobody Cliff else. From the Cl- yeah, Cliff Curtis is in it. 
Um, the first one was the first one had a lot of entertainment value. It is bombastic. It's it's not it's not grounded like Jaws. I so it's it's like it, I'm not going to have the excitement I would if this was you know Jaws two from Jaws. Right. Uh, it, it's going to be probably ridiculous, but I do like him a lot. I thought there was moments in it towards the end that I really liked. And I thought, yeah, he was good in it. So was the it was well shot. It, it was, was well, well shot, produced. well directed. Um, yeah. It just there wasn't enough peril in it for me. I thought it really Probably. took off towards the end when, you know, the shark got land, got to land and started like really. Um, I don't really care if it killed Rain Wilson or not. It, it, it mattered more when the stakes were a little higher towards the end of the film. Um and a little of the stuff that Jason Statham does is a little over the top, but it was entertaining and it was yeah, a big it was hit too. It yes. Yeah. Um, I did see last thing I had was Jamie Lee Curtis wraps up filming on Halloween ends. And she says, this is the last one. Do you believe it? It will be for a while. I do, yeah, be, maybe. But will it be I, for I her? I say 75%. Yes, it will be. Do they kill Laurie Strode? I hope not. I don't think that's what fans want to see. Well, they saw it once before, right? And it was I know, oh. but that was that was a, that was a contractual. That was by people running the show that were idiots. That was Halloween the, Resurrection. She did the tack on beginning, yeah, where Michael Myers kills her in the hospital out the window. It's so stupid, and her her wig was horrible. Um, people hate that. They hate that. If you're a fan of the Halloween franchise, you despise that moment. Yeah, they that is the worst moment exist. in the series. Yes. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Um. You know, it is. I look at the franchise a little differently because I, I thought the first installment, I, even though I like the second installment, I like the second installment. It is schlock, right? It's not. It's 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 far from high art. No. So, it's... but but I'm going I'm gonna make the assumption in those three films she came back for this new trilogy. I wouldn't be surprised if she banked forty five million. My God, that ending with Anthony Michael Hall. I, I just I don't even like even thinking about that second movie. It's just total crap. I'm sorry, Chuck. Um, October 14th is the release. I thought date. it had entertainment value if, if you like it. But again, it's nothing. It, it's it's, you know, you it's got not like Quentin Tarantino did it. You got Mike Myers killing firemen. That's not what we need. Uh, now, no, I agree. I agree. With uh, that. But it does have a good release date. It's October 14th. So it's going to be a true good uh, release date. Good release date for for a Halloween. Uh, yes. All right. What else? What do you got? I, I, well, uh, there was an announcement about the Oscars where they tried to do this two years ago when there was backlash. They changed their mind. Now, there's backlash already, but I don't think they're going to change your mind. Eight of the categories will be uh, presented in the audience before the live telecast goes on the air at ABC. Now, the people in the industry that are up for these Oscars are, are fuming, and I don't blame them. I don't blame said them that, I don't blame them. But the reality is the Tonys and the Emmys have been doing this sort of thing for years. What they would do is they'll edit the winners and they'll sort of mix it into the live telecast, give them recognition. They won't get to accept in a live format. But the reason is that the viewership is, is, is tanking big time and you don't want to make the industry should not, or does probably does not want to make the Oscars completely irrelevant. Uh, and, and it's heading in that direction. And, and the reality is people, especially listen, this is, and we'll talk about this when we talk about 72, the world we live in is completely different than it used to be. It just is streaming social media post COVID. You put it all in a, into a mix too much information. And obviously the attention span of people is not what it was decades ago. The general public doesn't want to sit, watch a three and a half hour telecast anymore. 
with awards that they simply don't care about. And that's eroding the viewership more and more and more. And uh, so they're finally going to make a change. It'll probably be a quicker, faster moving telecast. And um, as a viewer, I think it's good, but I understand their frustration. Because if I if I got an Oscar, one is going to be the editing category, by the way. Yeah, but ironically, they're editing out the editing category. Right. Yeah. Um, I actually think it's done, Chuck. I really do. I don't think it's a, I, I don't even know. I think there'll be a time it's not even telecast. It's going to be streamed somewhere. Well, let me ask you a question. You know, for years when the when the telecast started, we would we would text each other. Mm-hmm. Right. And say, OK, what do you think of that? How do you like the opening? Yeah. May not care this year, right? I probably will be sleeping. I barely remembered the nominations came out that morning. Uh, I just I think it's it's just not the climate. Well, t- tell, tell me why. Well, first of all, and we've talked about it the last five years. I didn't like the mm-hmm. direction uh, the Oscars were making anyway, because it became more of a political statement than an actual celebration of of cinema and movies and and movie stars. They care more about doing the right thing much, you know, and, and it really rubbed me the wrong way. So it's not a very entertaining telecast when all these people want to do is make a political statement and then live in a in hypocrisy, basically, um, for what they're saying. And that's a turnoff for me. And I'm a pretty okay. liberal guy and yeah, I'm turned well, look, off by these. Liberals. Let me explain my issue with the whole thing. I think if you go back. In the heyday of of, of how exciting the Oscars used to be. And you look at what was produced and you look at what's produced now. OK, look at the Oscar nominated movies that are produced now and have won in the last say five to 10 years. They're smaller films. They don't have marketing campaigns. They don't have big production budgets. Mass audiences do not watch these movies for the right. most part. Right. Okay. Years ago, character driven movies were well produced. They were marketed. They had big talent involved. One flew over the cuckoo's nest. Reds, Rocky, right? Yeah. Chuck, these, these movies, movies are still being made. They're just not being nominated anymore because the Hollywood would rather nominate themselves for patting themselves on the back for what's right in the political spectrum instead wait, of what's what, right the, in a cinema way, spectrum. The way you try to self-correct, if self-correction can be done, is you start producing good scripts, character-driven movies with good ideas, that have a budget and a marketing campaign. They got to get back to that. You can't just have movies that are produced for three or four million dollars or five million dollars with really no marketing campaign and think that the industry is going to maintain its status. They don't need to do that anymore because they but, don't need to market these movies then, anymore because they're going to go on streaming and people but, but will then, find them there. You, but then you have no then you then then the Oscars almost it, become irrelevant. That's what's going to happen. And, and, I so, hate so, to tell so, you that, but so that's you, what's going to happen. You, you, you seep what you 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 seep what you, what is that saying? You, you reap what you, you reap, sow. Yes. Okay, but, and that's what's going on. That's but I don't know if they necessarily care anymore, Chuck. Because if if that, the Rock not. can make his money on Netflix, what does he? No, care I understand, but don't you don't you miss? Of course I do. But the minute people. But, you know, think, think of this also. OK, like uh, like even Woody Allen, like Woody Allen in his heyday, those movies were so popular. Manhattan, 
I, I know. I get it. Chuck. I mean, his movies now, they, they don't make three cents. No, I get it. It's but it's not the movies that are being. It's the movies that are being nominated and winning that turn me off. Nobody cares about these because things. My They're all about is, social issues. They're not about great and, movies. Yeah, but they've gone. They've gone and uh, they fractured. There's no middle. There's no. They, I know. The rich, I, I the know. In the middle class. Right. I it's understand. The big budget movie, the low budget movie and the mid the mid range. There's no mid range anymore. Hollywood jumped the shark the minute they started taking social issues more important than cinema and art and all that and that's all they want to do so this is this becomes a three-hour program to make themselves feel better instead of a three-hour program celebrating movies and it's been that way long before long before covid it's been that way for quite some time and it's basically you know and it's a huge turnoff for for me. I know that. And a lot of people that just love going to see movies, you know, if they wanted to turn the page and go in another direction. And we talked about this the last couple of weeks. Spider-Man should have been nominated for an Oscar. And put it up there and just acknowledge the fact that it means something to the world of cinema. It doesn't have to be fine art to be best picture. And, and, and the minute they gotten away from all that, they just want to make themselves feel better about themselves. And frankly, I'll, I'll, I'll I'm not interested in watching a three hour, I'll, I'll give three hours of that. This week in movie history, 2005, Clint Eastwood's million dollar baby won the Oscar for best picture. It's a perfect example of what I'm talking about. Right. right? Absolutely. Stars, stars, concept, marketing, a production value in a marketing campaign. Right. That's what people ultimately want. That's but what, what the industry needs. But the difference between climate now and then, if that movie came out today, that movie would have been about and, and would have focused on and would have been highlighting right to life people and what it's all about and, and what messages are made that that movie would be a poster child for uh, some sort of political activist that would have made it a point that night about right to life instead of right. it's just a great movie uh, done really well with a downer of an ending. And an interesting uh, decision and dilemma to, to have. Instead, it, it would. I know you know that to be true, especially with a, game, a guy like Clint Eastwood attached to it now, uh, so many years after the fact. And that people are not interested in watching uh, on on Oscar night. It's just not the same anymore. Um, and that is not, you know, entirely the Oscars' fault. It's the climate we live in now. But they didn't help. And I, I I'm sorry, I don't. I don't need to watch three hours and feel guilty that I'm not a good enough person. And that's what they I, do. I, I got to before we move. Am on. Am I wrong? Am I wrong no. about that, though? That's what they no, do. They not. make you feel like you're sitting at home watching us. Look how great we are. And you have done nothing to add to anything to society sitting at home. And I'm eating. I'm sitting home eating my macaroni. and cheese. Exactly. Right? And doing nothing doing. Okay. So one, one interesting point of view. Uh, I was reading an article uh, they were interviewing in a written article. The, the uh, I think the, the writer of Die Hard, the original Die Hard from 88, right? Mm -hmm. the screenplay and Stephen D'Souza. I don't I don't I don't want to misquote myself. It was either him or somebody involved with the with the decision making of the project that John McClane said in the interview that John McClane was because a lot of actors were up for that role that they offered it to. They first did offer that role to Clint Eastwood. He hmm. was a, he they wanted Clint Eastwood to play John McClane and he was in his 50s. And even though he, the, 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 the interview, the person who was interviewed said Eastwood would have delivered those lines amazingly, you know, well, uh, welcome yeah, to the party, yeah, pal. Yeah, yeah. Uh, come out yeah he would have his sarcasm would have been awesome. But Eastwood, the problem, Eastwood turned the role down because he said he just couldn't understand the humor in the script, which I find surprising. 
but also Eastwood in his fifties in a, in a tank top and no shoot, you know, I don't know. But ha- having said that of all the actors that passed, thank God they went to Bruce Willis because he was born to play that role. He, he was. Just was, there's no doubt about it. Any I other movie news a, you got? No, I'm good. All right. Let's turn our attention to uh fast five, Chuck, and, and we'll start with an actor who won best actor for uh, no country for old men back in the day. That might be the last good um, Oscar telecast back in 2007. Javier Bardem. Um, to me, I think Skyfall more than I think no country for old men, only because I'm a huge bond fan. He's great in both. He is. He, he listen. He's a, he is a guy that, I mean, when you, when you cast him and you get him to sign the contract to be in your movie, your movie's better. It just is. It yeah, just I mean, is. The movie's just better. He's he's even got so much charisma in the being the Ricardos movie as well. Um, I don't know if they'll ever make a better bomb movie than Skyfall. Though. I don't think they will. Like all the pieces were there. Yep. Yep. It was a, it almost you almost look back now and say they probably should have just ended it right there. Right. Um, Chuck, how about you know, Ron there's Howard? A, there's, a, there's a saying. It's easy to get to the top. Staying there is the hard part. Right. So yeah. once you get to the top creatively on something. Not easy to repeat it. Just isn't Ron Howard. Uh, Ron Howard, 68 this weekend, still relatively young. And we uh, I mean, listen, I'm, I always think, oh, OK, there's Richie Cunningham, right? Yeah. I mean, he was also on Andy Griffith. Uh, I love Night Shift. I, I, I love Night and Shift. And I believe we have a show, right? We have a I think we did a whole Ron, Ho- a Ron Howard show. Um, yeah, I'm a huge fan Apollo of uh, 13. Yeah. Beautiful Mind. I love a lot, too. Mm-hmm. I'm a huge fan of Backdraft, even though it has its flaws. Yeah, he agreed. he he really knew how to make a, a real audience pleasing movie. Right. It was no, you know, never any big you know problems with the film. The paper. Remember how good that movie was? Yeah, really Just good. A good he, yeah, he's he's got, like, I, like we said last month, there's a really good buzz on his next movie, which comes out in November about the uh, that the tragedy where the uh, the rescue workers ha- have to save uh, a soccer t- kids. 13 in, lives is called. In, yeah. In Chile. Yeah. 13 yeah. lives. Great buzz on that film. Yep. Yep. He's a real and he did an admirable job with Solo coming into the last second, too, and directing that movie. The movie's not as bad as some people want it to be. How about Zack Snyder, Chuck? I am not a huge fan. Um, you know, to me, his his movies just lack a certain sense of I, I, I guess Dawn of the Dead is the closest thing that I would ever really say, you know, 100 percent. I totally uh, I'm behind that film. I know you like some of his other stuff. If you had to pick one well, Zack Snyder film, it would be Dawn of the Dead because I yeah. love it. Uh, I, I do think he's a very interesting talent. I, I think he's a talent, obviously, that that polarizes uh, on huge levels. Uh, I mean, people I mean, it's interesting because I still look at Batman versus Superman and, and it's like a it's like a work of art. Some people look at it. Oh, what a crappy piece of what a crappy piece of art. And others say, boy, this is this is ahead of its time. I got to tell you. I really dig the film. And I've said that I dig it. I I think it has a visionary feel to it. I I think Affleck's Batman is awesome in that movie. Listen uh, to me. It's based on, you know, a graphic novel. So I have to accept that Superman would fight Batman. But, you know, and I and I text you the other day because I was watching Superman, the movie on my my big TV at my ice cream parlor. And I look at Christopher Reeve's smile, just smile as Superman. And like that movie's a, a beautiful a beautiful product of its time. And I don't think you can make a uh, Superman. Like we'll talk about movies in this in 72, but there's certain movies that they are products of their time. And, yeah. and they do, they, they do, they do, uh, they, their heart beats off the pulse of the culture 
at the time. And I think Superman, the movie certainly was one of those. But having said that, I I do think there's so much cool stuff in Batman versus Superman. I really I really do. And I, I think he does reflect the times now, like, you know, to his credit, Zach, you know, Snyder does have a specific style and a specific way to make movies that, you know, you're watching a Zack Snyder movie. So there is some credit to that. And I think if he just would have reeled it in at the end of Man of Steel, I, I really would have enjoyed that movie a lot more. Oh, I um, like Man of Steel. Yeah, like, I just could have reined it in. Yeah, he's just reigning in that end. It's a thumbs up. No. Yeah. It, no, I definitely liked it. I did. I did. I yeah, would yeah. say beat Batman versus Superman's a thumbs up and Justin Lee's a thumbs up. They're just heavily flawed. And he just, you know, it's it's one of those things where you wish he had somebody by his side saying, oh, that's good, but maybe we should do this. And I actually liked army of dead army of the dead on Netflix from last year. I thought that was decent as well. He, it's not like I don't like him. It's just like, I'm not crazy about his style. Um, I like, I, we, I like, uh, I like Watchmen a lot too. I do. Yeah, I know you do. And really, but dawn of the dead, I think is when he's got it all right. And he's not abusing well, his it, style. Here's what he does. Well, here's what he does. Well, he casts really well. He's yeah. he can He, he picked Gal Gadot as wonder woman. Okay. Yeah. He, he brilliant. I mean, 99% of all casting directors would not have cast her as Wonder Woman. She's amazing in that role. She re- what, what she represents in terms of 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 strong women. I love. OK, yeah. And then she, it all went Sarah wrong in the Pos- second the, one. The casting in Dawn of the Dead, Sarah Polly, right? Yep. Canadian. Jake Weber. Yep. Bing Rames. I mean, the casting's just it's yeah, just it's spot out of the on. box. No. Awesome. Yeah, it's spot on. He didn't overcast it. He put he casted it perfectly. There's no doubt about it. Um, Chuck, another one here. John Turturro is uh, 65 years old. I'm watching his new show Severance on Apple Plus right now, directed by Ben Stiller. It's actually a decent show. Um, I, I think you, uh, he's an interesting because he does straight. He goes like he does he everything did, when he did Mr. Deeds, like it's a silly butler. Man, I was like pissing myself watching that movie. Yeah, he's really so funny fun. in that. But yeah. I mean, to me, I think of two roles. Pino and uh, uh, do the right thing. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, and I, and I uh, yeah. loved him. Absolutely loved him in Quiz Show. He was nominated yeah. for that too. I thought he was perfect in that. You know, role. he's playing calm the role of Carmine Falcone in the Batman. Oh, look at that! Yes, yeah. he is. Yeah. yeah. Um, he's still getting some decent roles. Uh, there's no doubt about it. Um, and last but not least, we we lost him a few years back, ten years ago, actually. Um, Charles Durning, Chuck would have been ninety nine. This weekend. Oh, dog day afternoon. Easy. Not even yeah. close. Cause I think Tootsie no. too. Yeah. He's really good. Into it. But I just think when I, when I look at, when I think of movies like dog day afternoon and, and think about all the dialogue in, in the air or whatever, the, all the dialogue that they had to memorize uncut continuous. Yeah. It's just a tremendous achievement. That movie. I uh, think. The, the, the scene where he's outside just talking him out of the, the, the bank and, and he's yelling Attica and, and, and he's trying to reason with them. It, it's so good. But the guy turned out to be a great one of the great character actors of all time. And he popped up very recognizable face. Um, I just love the scene where he's trying to seduce Tootsie. I think that's a near perfect comedy role for him as well. Chuck, we go back 50 years. And one of the reasons we're going back 50 years is because they're re-releasing The Godfather in theaters uh, up on the big screen this weekend. Hopefully some people go out and go see it. It is a perfect film. The interesting thing about The Godfather, which won a best picture back in 1972, it was a March 14th release. And back in the day, Chuck, that that, you know, March releases weren't remembered. I'm uh, sort of surprised later on. You, yeah, you would have thought that would be released at Christmas time, right? Sometime around October. Yeah. The, the previous November, Christmas. Or the, yeah. yeah. 
Um, but it was released in March of that year. I mean, we could start there. There was a couple other um, uh, th- movies I want to get to that was released before that, but we might as well start with the reason why we're going back 50 years. I mean, The Godfather, what, what can you say about it that hasn't been said already? I would say this. Um, it's easy to say they'll never make movies like that again, but they won't. And it is like, I, I think a lot of it really does have to come down to the attention span and yeah. the, the sophistication of moviegoers back in 72. Yeah. Right. I mean, you're not going to get a sold out house in today's generation watching The Godfather with the attention span and the, the, the patience behind a film. like Here, that, Here's right? the thing. Back then. In the culture, adults were adults and kids were kids. Yeah. Right. Is that a fair say? Sure. Yeah. Now you got rebellious kids. Now you got kids who are playing on games and they have no attention spans and they're just their mind is different. They're not. They they don't. And and, and also, you know, France, the studios let directors like Coppola, the wedding scene, you know, let things play out. And it's still hypnotic and still like there's not a frame of that movie that you don't get sucked into. Absolutely. Perfect movie. I think it's both the patience of the studio, the patience of a director and the patience of an audience. It's a culture, right? Yeah. It's just the way that would let a movie like that develop and then play out. And then people keep going back to see it. I mean, people are going back to see a three hour movie over and over and over again in theaters. And it started a genre. This movie's also started a, a real genre in cinema. Um, it launched so many careers, Pacino, Coppola's uh, cons and such. Uh, it, it just it is a perfect film um, to me. I still think the best way to watch the Godfather movies is the way NBC used to do it. You remember back in the day when they mix it timeline wise and that's but, but you go back and watch the original. Um, it, it is a perfect film um, with a great ending and an awesome and I mean awesome cast. Uh, Chuck, when J- when Jimmy Khan buys it at the at the uh, at the booth at the toll booth, I mean that is an iconic iconic scene. And then you know it's just a tremendous movie. And, and where do you? I mean, obviously one and, best and picture. Was, and let's be honest, that was an Al Pacino. That was a different Al Pacino than absolutely, he absolutely. I mean, Al Pacino in the we talked about this before, but Al Pacino in the Godfather and Dog Day Afternoon. That's that's the great Al Pacino. Yeah, you he know, barely Pacino, raises his voice in the Godfather. Al Pacino post Scarface. You know, scent of a woman. I mean, yeah, I it's mean, like, hoo-ah. it's like, it's like, did somebody say, "Hey, Al, you read your lines ten times louder <laughs> than you used to"? Like, I don't, I still don't yeah. understand. It's like I don't. It's like uh, Al, you're blind, but we're not deaf. Uh, that we get. <laughs> it. <laughs> Here, um, it's like, it's like, hey, Al. Like, I mean, you don't have to audition to be the Joker every movie. Like, I know. Well, the, the funny thing is, is that. Um, his neck, the devil's advocate. He's actually more over the top. Even in Dick film. Tracy. Yeah, like, he's way oh over God. the top. Uh, he's like insane. But he 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 made a creative choice. I don't know why. I'm not saying Al Pacino is not a legend. Oh, my God. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I'm not saying that. But like he made a creative choice in terms of acting style. Yeah. That is it's it's, it's turned, a little strange. Right. He turned the energy level to 11. He did. He to just 11. Went, I know. Yeah. He did. And uh, even I watched. Andy I mean, Jimmy's- you ima- imagine he played Michael Corleone like that. Oh, my. Well, well wouldn't let him anyway. No. And there's a couple of scenes in three where he does that. You know, one, oh, yeah. once I thought they were out and they pulled me back when in. That's a little- a, and when he takes a diabetic attack. Yeah, that's that. That's a little over the top. I just it's saw any given Sunday 
again a couple of weeks ago. I rewatched. Not a fan of the movie, but he's got a, he does an interesting performance for sure in that film. It's just way over edited by Oliver Stone and way overrated too. It's not a good football film. All right, Chuck. Before The Godfather was released, there was some notable classics, uh, or, or you know, uh, that were uh, Silent Running came out in March of that year. I know a lot of sci-fi fans love that James Dern film. Um, What's Up Doc came out that year as well. You had Cabaret in February of that year, which was a huge movie for Liza Minnelli. The Hot Rock, which starred um, Robert Redford and George Siegel in a, in a thief movie and a good cow in a good uh, Western. I remember my mom taking us to go see it when I was really young is the Cowboys with John Wayne and a bunch of kids. I don't know if you remember that uh, Western movie uh, that all came out before The Godfather did um, in, in uh, March of that year. Um, also coming out, a re-release of the Ten Commandments in March of that year. And you had Play It Again, Sam, from Woody, uh, Woody Allen. And another interesting movie that came out in uh, June of that year, Chuck, is Deep Throat. And you talk about how different the climate is right now <laughs> as it is from then. That, but that, Deep that Throat be, that, was released in be, theaters. That, that would be like the cherry on the, on, on, on the ice cream sundae of, of different climate, No. I would think so. I mean, I. But also, if history, listen, if you read history, right? People want, people, the mass public went to the, watch this in droves. Chuck, this movie made almost $50 million in the box office. And I mean, did everybody wear a raincoat? Yes, I I just don't know. I'm going to tell you a quick story. Now, the the one thing I I, I, want to hear a story, but I want to ask you, you know, what theaters turned into. I don't, it'll take too much time, but yeah. Theaters turned into what they did in Times Square and, you know, basically people. But at some point, were people actually unzippering their pants? I don't want to hear it. I mean, I, I mean, is that what was going on for Deep Throat? I don't know. What's your story? Go ahead. Okay. I remember in my neighborhood when theaters said, by the way, it was a summer release, June 12th. Okay. There was certain, certain there was certain theaters that said, okay, we can make more money showing pornographic movies than regular movies. Right. Yeah. So I remember like you'd see people, older people in my neighborhood go to the movie. Like, like they, they, they wear a raincoat and, and sort of like sneak into the movie theater, buy a quick and real, real, real quick and, and run into the theater. But that's an interesting time. But the, the thought of this movie, which is it's actually a terrible movie, but it's anyway, not good. No, it's not. No, it's, it's a not, terrible movie. Yeah. But uh, it, it, the thought that this made 50 million dollars. Holy <laughs> cow. There's, there's a oh. there's a there's a real good documentary on it. I guess it was a huge curiosity factor. back. I think right? so. Yeah, I okay. think so. Chuck, right. a little earlier before that came out in May, before there was Airport 1975, there was another nifty little airplane movie that Charlton Heston starred in. And that was Skyjack that came out May 24th. Of 1972, and I'm a huge fan of this one. James Brolin stars as a hijacker on this plane. Yvette Mimo, and of course, when you got Chuck Heston flying a plane, where can you go wrong, Char- uh, Chuck? I mean, this is the man. Uh, you know, here's what's interesting. I know this sounds crazy. I don't remember this movie that well. Oh, it's good, Chuck. It is good. Huh? Um, it is very good movie. How I mean- did it do at the box office? Um, at the box office. Well, this was actually before, obviously, um, the, the airport is 75 it's before, came out. It's before, it's before it's, it, which can 74 is before earthquake. Yeah, it, um, right? it made about six and a half million at the box office. Now, what genre would you put that in? 
I would say, well, I mean, disaster it's movie. Disaster. It's a disaster is it, movie. Is, is yeah. it really? Okay. I mean, I mean um, more of a suspense thriller, though, right? Yeah. I mean, so is Airport 75. Let's face it. I mean, it's not really much of a disaster movie. I mean, it, the, once the plane hits the other plane, not much disastrous happens after that. Um, but it's a very enjoyable. You know, we we did a, 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 a an airplane type show uh, that, that is a genre. Uh, airplane thrillers and i think it falls very neatly into that um also coming out in 1972 chuck you had uh the possession of joe delaney you had a shaft another shaft movie shaft's big score that made Um, money right yep it made money movies were popular yep absolutely um you had ben come out in june of that year chuck which was the sequel to willard okay i I have fond memories of ben that movie did well that movie's a big hit with the public now no, no, no. Willard. Willard was a big hit. Ben still made money, right? Ben. Yeah, Ben had the uh, Michael Jackson song with it too. One year Se- later. Yep. Okay, so Ben, I can still listen. I can still watch Ben and enjoy it. This the end song, Michael Jackson, the kid. Yeah, not a great actor, but like when Ben comes in the end and he's all burnt, right? Remember the scene? The, the scene at the end, and 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 the, the sort of the kid embraces him. Like it goes to show you sequels that you could you could put anything on the screen as a sequel then and it would make money absolutely absolutely um who I was I, a star of ben joe well, he played a detective joseph uh Campan- joe, joe campanella. campanella yeah joe campanella yeah. i liked hick i was good yeah he, he popped up a lot in the 70s yeah, he popped up a lot uh prime cut too i believe gene hackman starred in prime cut along with lee marvin that came out in 1972 as well wow. okay. the candidate with uh Robert Redford. Yeah, with, uh, that was as, a big hit. That was a big hit. He's a he's a huge star at the time. And just before Fourth of July weekend, we get the conquest of the Planet of the Apes. Chuck, let's go into this conquest. Explain to the people which one is this one now. Okay, conquest is the fourth of the five, right? And, and con- conquest was the, uh, very dark in 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 tone. It was about the 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 uprising of the apes against humanity it is very it's a dark it's a dark movie they they recut a director's cut a few years ago that that i i found pretty interesting uh i i like this film i like this film and you know back in the day these movies had big lines like big line big lines yeah. to see yep. to see there was high high interest and they they were all all thought-provoking scripts not masterpieces the first one's a masterpiece but the, you know the re- even the, the all the sequels Battle very thought four and very, yep, yep. the last one okay like if if the, if I ever saw the last one again I'm okay battle eh. yep. but the first four really good I think so Chuck um, Burt Reynolds has two movies come out in July one the cop comedy fuzz the second an instant classic Deliverance comes out July 30th 1972 just think about that Deliverance and The Godfather the same year wow. I got to tell you about Deliverance. They'll never make a movie for a mass audience like that ever again. And and listen, I always said I never I've done over 150 classic revival movies at my theater that I'm involved in. Right? And I introduced 
I would never do deliverance simply because I don't want to sit through that. I just don't want to sit through the, through that experience in a movie theater. It's a great movie. It is compelling as hell. I'm, I'm, I'm sure people in 1972, the mass audience that watched that movie, I one, I don't know if they knew what they were getting into. Two, I'm sure they sat there on pins and needles, yeah. literally on pins Absolutely. and needles. Absolutely. Like, Absolutely. It, it, you could argue it is one of the greatest horror movies of all time, right? Because it is a horror movie. Absolutely. In essence, it is a yeah. horror movie because yeah. horrible things happen in that movie. And it's but scary. it is also unbelievably it's scary. Yep. It's cathartic. You know, uh, Burt Reynolds shooting the bow and arrow through the hillbilly. Yep. It's cathartic. You know, it does John have a great Voight, payoff. John, John yeah. Voight, you know, and above let in, in the, and they filmed that, you know, in, in, on location in the, in the rafters of the water. Yeah. I mean, it had to be a scary shoot. I think it is the best movie Burt Reynolds has ever done in terms of it took him to a, a height of pure acting. Absolutely. That, that, he, you know, and his character, you know, his character gets injured. And that's a gross scene, you know, is all the muscle in his leg, you know, is coming out of his leg. I don't just, know how. Listen, when they shot the Nate Beatty scene, uh, the rape scene, like, I don't even know how they did it. Like, nah. it had to be disturbing. Very, very disturbing. And let's be honest. Those two hillbillies are is is two of the greatest villains of all time. You talk about perfectly cast individuals. I mean, there's no doubt about it. Um a lot of Westerns coming out in the summer of that year. Joe Kidd with Clint Eastwood. You had the Magnificent Seven ride, a sequel with Yul Brenner in it as well. Uh, actually, no, Yul Brenner wasn't in that one. It was Lee Van Cleef in that one, Chuck. Junior Bonner, which was uh, Steve McQueen starring in that. Um, also a horror classic to some. At the end of August, The Last House on the Left comes out, Chuck, and that's Wes Craven's di- directorial debut. If you think Deliverance is hard to watch, oh, that's a that's a disturbing movie. That is one of the more you disturbing know, I, I videos I've ever re- rented. I remember when I rented that. I would I, first thing I said to myself, "Who would make this movie?" Exactly, it's schlock. Right? It, and who then the second thing it, I like, said is, "This is a documentary." Because <laughs> I'm going to tell you why. Why the, the reason movies like that were made because they knew it would touch a nerve, they knew it would create a spark, and they knew it would make money. Yep. Right. Yep. And it's very cheap too. very cheaply would make money. Yes. And they would have things on the sign. Like remember, they would have the schlock things on the signs like to avoid fainting or uh, don't watch this in certain ways. I mean, they'd they'd always do that for a horror movie. You don't want to miss the last 10 minutes of this film. I just remember that movie poster being very manipulative. Um, Blackula came out in uh, 1972, right around that time as well. You had another Woody Allen film. Um, later on in the year, uh, I'm trying to find, oh, here we go. October. You've got movies like the last tango in Paris comes out October the 14th, Chuck, of course, a very controversial film, very, even years after the fact, very controversial. Some people, uh, say that there was literal sex having in that movie with, uh, there was, would you put it past Marlon Brando for, for doing something like that? Of course not. Um, Diana Ross's lady sings the blues comes out. In October of that year, um, you get another mass release of basically a pornographic film is Alice's Adventures in Wonderland comes out in 1972. Um, it's really incredible. Um, some of these movies that are being released. Rage with George C. Scott comes out at the end of 1972. They k- only kill their masters with the yeah, James I, that Garner. One I, that one I remember. James Garner, another great actor back in the day, uh, Chuck. Um Sleuth comes out in December I of that, that year. Also, Michael Caine, Michael Caine, Lawrence Olivier. Yep. 
Um, and, Lawrence, and for people who don't know, Lawrence Olivier at the time was regarded as like the greatest actor ever. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. That came out in December. I don't think his legacy is held up, though. Mm, probably not because he started the jazz singer. I don't think many people would say, oh, Lawrence Olivier, greatest actor ever. Very boys for Brazil. Really interesting actor, though. Very interesting. Then in December, uh, December 12th, 1972, a little film was released. You may have heard of it. We might have talked about it once or twice on these podcasts. Chuck, would you like to discuss the Poseidon Adventure? I when you say it, I still get chills. I'm serious. <laughs> like, I, I, I know this sounds crazy. If I could take a time machine and go backwards and do anything but like, you know, bring back a ton, you know, millions of dollars. But if I could go back to a place in time just for fun, I would love to see this movie with a huge crowd back in 72 on a big screen. Like, yeah. I don't know. There's something like, like it's high concept, right? And the high concept aspect of, a, of, a, of an ocean liner hitting a, a 90 foot tidal wave on New Year's Eve. It's still like when they pitched that idea, I know it's based on a book, but you know, the studio had to say, how do we get this going? Yeah, no, it's absolutely. A great concept. But what makes it work is it's, it's the religious symbolism that they deny in the script because yeah. it's all there. I mean, yeah. come on. Yeah. If, if this is not a Jesus Moses composite, Reverend Scott, I don't know what is. I don't know what is. And I, and when I've introduced it to audiences, I always talk about that. I say, when you rewatch this, you know, when he's carrying the Christmas tree, look yep. at his look at his hands. It's like he's carrying the cross. Yep. You know, salvation light at the end of the tunnel. The only way to salvation is up. I mean, it's all it's all there. It's all, and, all the and, symbolism. And it has there. one thing. It has Gene Hackman, who is incredible. Well, and, and I just actually watched this the other day again. Um, I found it on HBO Max. And that's that's why I texted you that one line. <laughs> like Nani couldn't swim like all the she was Is such a pain on the, HBO Max. It's on HBO Max. Yeah, I just watched it the other day. Okay. Um, it's just got a great cast with a tremendous payoff. The greatest how good de- Stella Stevens in that movie. Uh, she's so good. And when she she's, dies, I got pissed off. And the comic timing is awesome in that movie. Yeah, she's good. And it's just a great movie. And there's no doubt about it. Um, and and uh, it, well, every time I watch it, it always bothers me that Gene Hackman just doesn't embrace that film. I don't know why yeah, but it bothers me too. But you know, how good is that set? The engine, the, no, engine the set is set. perfect. Yeah. How, I mean, how amazing is that set? Those sets, the movie was shot for $5 million in 72, right? Well, and that set is so much better than any set in Poseidon. It just is. Well, not only the religious overtones that you talk about in the yeah. film, but how about the struggle with religion that, a, that a preacher has in the film? Oh yeah. And with the fact that it questions, religion so much i mean it really boils down to god helps those who help themselves more yeah, than anything else that is his message that's his message and is it, i mean and it's a lot of the things that uh really appeals to us you know there were great movies in, in december around that as well you know the getaway came out in in december of that year a great star vehicle for uh steve mcqueen and ally mcgraw that's a good action film the heartbreak kid came out in december of that year hysterical neil simon comedy with charles groden um across 110th street a gritty cop movie um back in the day with anthony quinn yafikoto and jeremiah johnson the, the third film robert redford was in before the year would be made up chuck and it just goes to show you and let's be honest let's talk about how big a movie star robert redford was i mean it's it time big i mean it's just it, bigger than big i mean one yeah. of the first movie stars that i I loved um, his movies made money. His and movies again, made it was money. A different, it was a, listen the people who went to the movies. They were 40 plus. They Not no doubt about it. They Chuck, weren't people. They weren't teenagers. Here's the top 10 movies of that year. Godfather, 
number yeah. one, Poseidon Adventure two. Yeah. What, what's up, Doc three? Mm-hmm. You had Deliverance at four. Yeah. I mean, Jeremiah Johnson came in fifth. You try to sit down now. I challenge you to sit down and watch Jeremiah Johnson mm-hmm. and not fall asleep. This And it was the fifth grossing film of the year. That goes to show you the star power of Robert Redford. Um, Cabaret was sixth. Yeah. Deep, deep throat. Was, was Holy seven. cow. That is, that is, uh, that's it. You know, we've been doing this show how long. That's it's one of the most interesting pieces of history. I mean, I knew it did. I it just, It's hard to believe. Deep throat made more money than the getaway. So there you go. That's all you need to know. And that basically was all about the Godfather. But um, on the same token, let's be let's be adult about this. How many people are watching Pornhub daily? Oh, well, obviously, I mean, obviously, multi-million. I mean, obviously, so, I mean, you know, is what it is. They were saying that one of the sanctions against Russia right now is not allowing them to go on Pornhub. And that might really put the country to a halt and maybe stop what they're doing. Um, and there's probably some that, truth seriously? in that. Yeah, there's probably some truth into that. Oh, Chuck, yeah. Um, you had Godfather win best picture, best actor, um, best screenplay. You had best director go to, to, uh, Bob Fosse, not Francis Ford Coppola, which is mind boggling in and of itself. Yeah, it, it, absolutely. Liza won her best actress. Joel Gray won best supporting actor. Um, again, with that cast in the Godfather, it goes to show you revisionist history. You think the Godfather won all these Academy Awards. I actually think that movie plays fairly bore- boring, too. What, Cabaret? Cabaret, yeah. yeah, pretty much, pretty much. Um, but it was definitely an interesting, interesting year, to say the least. 50 years ago. In a, in and a, by in the diff- way, we, The Godfather is being released in AMC theaters in a 4K restoration. That's why we're doing this. That's this right. Weekend. And in Dolby Sound, too. So go out and see it if you can. Chuck, 50 years ago, it was a tremendous, tremendous year. I know it's hard for you to say, but if you had to pick one movie, it's I know it's Poseidon Adventure, but when The Godfather comes out that very same year, yep. it, it's kind of remarkable. Of if you course think about it, it is. Um, if you think about it. All right, Chuck. By the way, Godfather was up against um, Cabaret, Deliverance, The Emigrants and Sounder for Best Picture that year. Um, interesting, interesting stuff. You have a and good a one, Chuck. Watch the, a lot of people watch the Oscars that year. I'm sure they did more than they'll watch it this year. That's for sure. You have a good one, Chuck. We'll do this all over again next week. Always a pleasure to the audience. Thank you very much for listening. Thanks for listening to Movie Maniacs. Download one of our archived episodes. Be sure to subscribe to us wherever you listen to podcasts. Podcasts by Federated Media.